Good morning, everyone. It's wonderful to see you all. I have just completed a week of online session where I would typically be in California for Rohatsu session at Jikoji Zen Center where I practice and where I was ordained and where my guiding teacher lives and practices. But given the conditions in the world, um, I had to settle for an online session this past week. And <clears throat> um, it is so wonderful to see in these little posted, postage stamp images of everyone. I think everyone should be made into a commemorative stamp, <laughs> each one of you. Um, when I participated in the Sashin, I also delivered a couple of talks yesterday. And um, most of the people who appeared on the screen, I did not know. Um, a number of them, I would say five or six of them, I did know very, very well because I've been practicing with them for probably over 20 years. And it is absolutely joyful to connect with people you have practiced with for so many years, to see them again, to talk with them, to know, feel their support, to have known them all, over all these many years and to have shared this amazing practice together. The others I didn't know. And so it feels so equally joyful to see all of you who I do know and who, who are part of our Sangha. You know, I was in a bit of a stranger uh, still being 3000 miles away from Jikoji. Um, still feeling a bit of a stranger, but I, I, I really feel family looking at all of you um, and feeling that mutual support. Many of you um, are, we haven't practiced together for 20 years. <laughs> um, and I'm hoping that we get there. I certainly plan to be around for the next 20 years. So we still have some time to practice together. There's nothing that, that really compares to these long spiritual relationships that you have with people. Um, it's an incomparable situation. So it's, it, I just wanna express my gratitude to you for being members of our Sangha and for showing up in mutual support of one another in this practice. So in considering the previous week's talk, I realized that we weren't quite done with the theme of the talk, 
not that we're ever done with anything in this practice, but it seemed worthy of taking another week to look at this building of walls. And actually to take it to perhaps the next step, which is the mending of walls, not just the building of them, which we seem to be pretty good at doing. And then it's almost inevitable that the wall is going to crumble in some way because really the walls don't exist. Uh, boundaries really don't exist. We create them and anything we create, anything that is made falls apart <laughs> inevitably. So there's going to be an inevitability to the um, falling apart of anything that's constructed and relationships are constructed. They are constructed. And I suspect that there isn't a single one of you who hasn't experienced the collapse of a wall, a wall that connected, a place where you met someone that I suspect that relationships which are established on either side of that wall, regarding the wall as a meeting place, at some point that relationship, and it might've been a very, very important relationship, it fell apart. And <clears throat> I bet that there have been many of those and many of them with, as I've said, really significant people or groups of people in our lives. What happens when relationships break or there's distress or there's conflict or there's misunderstanding the tendency is to focus on the person who is bringing forth this distress. When the focus is probably more helpfully the relationship. Because people are just who they are. They're doing their own thing. But when they come, when, when we come into relationships with one another, the dynamic can be very different, can change. Some people bring out the best in you and some people don't, but it's all about in fact, that same person can, under different causes and, and conditions, create a totally different kind of relationship. So 
these conflicting relationships, these relationships in conflict can range from minor irritations, someone who just, or a group of people who just rub you the wrong way, as we say. Um, it's like having a pebble in your shoe. It's just, just annoying. Not, not a crisis, but it's, they're just annoying and irri irritating, <laughs> irritating. And we can go from there to someone who even the sound of their name or their image or a memory of them just sets your hair on fire. Just incredibly negative, quote unquote, reaction. Sometimes to the point of wanting to be violent or feeling the impulse to strangle them, <laughs> to get rid of them. And we all have this full range within us in reactions, in our reactivity. Sometimes, and I, I think I spoke with Shulong about this phrase, negative intimacy. There are some relationships which actually thrive on conflict. It makes the parties feel alive. And sometimes people who you are really close to um, the tendency is to, to continue to fight. Some people describe their relationships as, as I'm all, we're always fighting. And that kind of gives juice to, it makes the relationship kind of passionate. It's a kind of intimacy. You know how to push each other's buttons. You're very close and you know you 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 really you really know how to upset the other person. And there's a kind of intimacy in that. And you can get really used to that. And just want to continue fighting because it feels so energizing. <laughs> and you feel really close in a strange way to that person or those people. So th these, are, these are situations to examine. And I'm going to use a kind of paradigm which is often used in Zen that if you can't make rice, you make gruel. And if you can't make gruel, you make mush. So as we read the 
engaged Buddhist precepts, a couple of them encouraged us to resolve conflicts wherever we possibly can, to notice when anger or hatred, when that seed pops up in us, and to know that it's not about that person, not about those people, but it's about our relationship, our reactivity. So one of the things we can do is make the effort to make rice together. It would be wonderful if the one person coming to the wall to meet, the other person coming to the wall to meet, and together mend the wall, put the rocks in that should be there because you're preserving the meeting place. You want it to be a strong meeting place, not a strong separation. That would be making rice. That would be mending the wall, mending the wall of relationship. But what does that require? It requires that both parties come with goodwill, with an open heart, and with a desire for peace. Both parties, that would be the ideal, the making of rice. I was remembering Joe's, Joe's talk, or maybe it wasn't a talk, it was um, a comment in the book club, I'm not sure. But you talked about uh, people being revived from the dead. And one of the things that was said by one of them was that in this experience of being dead, he felt complete acceptance. Is that right, Joe? Yeah. He felt completely accepted. That is really what we want. It seems so simple. But if two people can meet and feel completely accepted, they have to go through the death of their ego. They have to die. It's a good metaphor. They have to die to their fixed ideas to their ego's um, uh, uh, stronghold on their separate self. It's kind of like entering, isn't it um, the Bermuda Triangle? <laughs> There's this, this theory about it, uh, the Bermuda Triangle, which is a place I believe in the in Bermuda or near Bermuda, where ships are said to have 
magically disappeared. And, they, and no one can explain what happened to them. It's sort of that place where things disappear and you don't know why or how. That's what has to happen when we meet. We have to meet in the Bermuda Triangle <laughs> where our egos disappear, where we're just humans, two humans meeting at the wall, having something to do with one another, namely to preserve our meeting place and mend the wall. So mend the relationship. But that doesn't always happen. We can't always make rice. Sometimes we may have to make gruel So maybe we're the one who reaches out, wants to meet the other person, has this openness, and very much like in the poem, that neighbor walks away. <laughs> no, oh, let's, let's solve this problem. Sorry, <laughs> I'm out of here. Well, you might have to make gruel, which amounts to simply being civil. You might not have this wonderful, deep connection with someone, but you might just be able to be polite and respectful and civil in a way like those two men who met at the wall uh, were able to do. They didn't have the true deep relationship of neighbors, nor were they fighting. They were just, okay, this is what we do. And um, this is the wall that, that has to separate us. And then sometimes we can't even make gruel. We have to make mush. And what does making mush involve? Making mush means you just have to do it yourself. You're not getting any cooperation in fact, perhaps you're getting an attack. Perhaps you're getting a rejection, but you can still make peace within yourself. It's actually not, not mush totally, but the metaphor I think is that there's always something you can do. There's some, always something you can make, if not resolving things within yourself. Suzuki Roshi had a wonderful um, observation about listening to the sound of blue jays. 
I forget the kind of blue jay that makes this really awful cackling. It, at least it, it seems to people like this blue jay, or you can think of grackles or crows or whatever, but he mentioned the blue jays that were, were um, making all kinds of noise outside of the zendo. And it was really bothering people. And he pointed out that you can hear that as noise and get irritated by it. Or you can hear that as sound. And then he said, if you let that sound into your heart, you will hear it as song. It's up to you. Another example, Magic Johnson, who is a famous basketball player, you know, really big, strong, powerful guy. And he had a son who all during his early life did not want to play sports like Magic was encouraging to him to do. Magic wanted him to play basketball and wanted him, if he didn't like basketball, to play hockey. And if he didn't want to play hockey, well, at least learn fencing. If he didn't, you know, he wanted, he wanted his son to follow in his athletic footsteps. He wanted a son like him. And there was tremendous conflict because his son only wanted to play with dolls. Only wanted to dress up in skirts and not in football uniforms. And he relates this story of tremendous conflict, trying always to get his son to be the boy that he wanted. And finally, he hit the, the wall. <laughs> and the wall was that his son told him that he really felt like a girl and he wanted to be a girl. And at that point, what did Magic Johnson say? He said, now I have to work, not on you, but on myself. I've been working on you all this time, but now I have to make mush. <laughs> I have to turn inward. And that's, you know, great teachings that we get from people who resist us. Gives us an opportunity to move beyond our fixed ideas and our expectations of other people. Lastly, there is this wonderful account by a Russian mystic named Gurdjieff, who some of you may have heard of. 
he was um, very much a guru, um, had, a, had a very big following and established uh, what he considered to be enlightened communities of people who um, were working on developing their consciousness, on developing their compassion, on developing their sense of harmony with one another. And there are stories about him making his disciples do useless work together. And one of these times, he had his disciples moving, cutting up sod in, on the land, cutting up grass in little chunks and just moving it to other locations, just doing that together. And there happened to be one member of the community who everybody really disliked. He was very temperamental, um, very self-absorbed, self constantly was irritated and complaining about everything, constantly judging people and having tantrums. And this having, moving this sod from one place to another really was the last straw for this person. And he said, no, I'm not doing this. I'm out of here. Got into his car and drove off. And all the other members of the community said, great, this is finally rid of him. You know, he's been the worst influence on us um, celebrating his departure. But Gurdjieff got into his car and followed this guy until it was a couple of days before he returned with the guy who was irritating everybody. And of course, no one questioned him at the time, but his attendant, Gurdjieff's attendant, was serving him lunch and said, look, I have to ask you, why did you bring this guy back? And Gurdjieff said, look, don't tell anybody. This is just between you and me. I pay this guy to be here. Without this guy, we would not discover who we really were. 